just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence with John Ball from presentinfluence.com. Each week, we talk about presentation skills and public speaking and the tools of influence and persuasion with experts and incredible guests. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Speaking of Influence is uploaded and distributed to all major podcast networks through Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout is the simplest way to get your podcast started with tons of great resources for new podcasters. You could start your podcast today. Follow the link in the show notes. Welcome. I'm really happy to have my guest today on the show because I've been wanting to talk about humor for quite a long time. So to have been recommended to speak to today's guest was a delight. And when he said yes and agreed to come on the show, I knew we were going to be in for a treat. My guest today is an international Hall of Fame Fame business speaker on inspiring workplace cultures. He travels around, around the world researching, writing, training, and speaking about inspiring workplace cultures, amongst other things. He's very good with humor, so good, in fact, he has a whole book about it called The Humor Advantage. Please welcome to my show, Michael Kerr. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's an absolute delight to have you on the show. And, and I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you on the chat that we had before recording as well. And one of the things I want to get from you is uh, explain to us a little bit about your relationship to humor and how you became a public speaker. I'd like to know. Right. Yeah. Well, my background, we're just talking about this earlier. It actually started with me working as a park ranger kind of guy in the national parks here in beautiful Western Canada. And that's where I really developed my love and passion for public speaking, if you will, because I did those campground talks, right, in in just ridiculous circumstances sometimes. So speaking to 500 international audience members outside where halfway through your talk, a thunderstorm might break out or a drunk would show up or off to the side here, elk would start mating, babies would crawl up on stage. You had to deal with everything and anything. So I really, really learned the value and importance of humor, doing those, of thinking on your feet, of just being able to laugh at yourself and go with the flow. But I actually got into the business of Speaking, my my business is called Humor at Work, where I focus on humor in the workplace and workplace culture and inspiring workplace cultures, because I ended up in a position a lifetime ago where I was working in a soul-sucking 
fun-sucking, Dilbert-like work environment. And I knew I had to do something different with my life. I, I knew I was good at public speaking. I loved public speaking. Uh, I loved being in front of the audience. I loved the, the creativity involved with it, the, uh, the chance to flex my, my funny bone, if you will. And because I had this experience working in a soul-sucking, fun-sucking workplace, I decided to make it my mission to talk about how work should not be sucking the life out of you. In fact, just the opposite. We should be inspired at the end of a workday, ideally, and that work not only can be fun, it should be fun if you want to be successful. I've always carried that philosophy with me that if what I'm doing isn't fun, I don't want to carry on doing it. And, you know, I worked for about 12 years for a major airline as cabin crew. And I had the best time. I had a lot of fun. But after about 10 years of that, it was, it was less fun. It was becoming a bit more boring. And I was already trained up as a coach. I was already starting to work with people and wanting to move into different areas. And that was, that was it. I was really just waiting for my time, waiting to make that move, already planning my escape out of there. Didn't make the move directly into public speaking, but uh, certainly that's been part of my journey too. But I agree with you 100%. It's like, if it's not fun waiting, I'm not one of those people that could sit and spend a lot of time in one of those soul-sucking jobs either. Um, life is too short for all of that. Well, yeah, that's right, John. That's what I that's what I tell audiences all over the world. Look, I mean, it sounds cliche. It sounds a little, you know, motivationally speakerish, but life is short. We got one crack at this thing, and this thing called work consumes a huge amount of our waking hours. The single biggest use of our waking hours, in fact, and it affects our family life and marriages and our physical and mental health and our identity and who we hang out with and, and how we develop as human beings and where we live even sometimes. Work has a huge impact on our lives. So let's try and enjoy the journey. And as I say to my audiences, look, here's the deal. Even if adding more humor into your workplace culture doesn't help you achieve all the success that that I know it will or can help you achieve based on all the research I've done and examples of businesses all over the world. What would you rather have? The same level of success and less fun or the same level of success and at least a little bit more fun and enjoy the journey at least a little bit more? It seems like a no-brainer question to me. Yeah, I don't think it's too difficult. I, I do think quality of life experience is something that all too often gets missed out and there are way too many people for my liking who are waiting until that far off retirement before they even get to start enjoying their lives so that is a lot of years to give up before you start enjoying yourself in my opinion and it, not, not it, it is it's, it's like a it's like serving time right it's like they're in, they're, they're in their own prison and I know people like that who just who work in miserable jobs just for the pension, and they're counting down the days. I've I've met people who literally know the number of days they have left in their sentence before they can start enjoying life. Like how crazy is that? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me at all. Uh, but maybe I'm a bit more of an in-the-moment kind of person in general, and I care very much about how my current experience is, not just my future experience. Do you think that you've always been naturally funny? 
I get asked that a lot. And I, yeah, I, th- I think to a certain degree, I was, I was quite funny as a child, but I was incredibly shy, like incredibly shy. I'm actually somewhat of an introvert, which people find surprising. I can speak in front of 2,000 people in an audience and do all this goofy, outrageous stuff sometimes. Yet in most contexts, I would consider myself more of an introvert. But I've always had a quirky sense of humor. I've always had, I think, a somewhat natural ability to find the funny in situations. However, I have learned over the years to be funnier, I guess. I've learned to develop and grow my sense of humor in different ways. And, And like anything, I truly believe anybody can grow their ability to find the humor in life, that can grow their sense of humor. Yes, there's a natural component to it, perhaps, but I think anybody can learn to learn to be funnier. And, and I think so much of it just starts with, with letting go, right? Just being comfortable in your own skin, especially when we talk about speaking, being comfortable in your own skin in front of a group of people and just taking the chance to, to be yourself and try some new things. Uh, I remember a quote from Lucille Ball, who once said, and I thought, yeah, this is a brilliant way of looking at it. She said, you know, I I don't think I was ever particularly funny. I was just brave, (laughs) which is kind of one way I look at it, right? Sometimes I've taken some risks for sure, as I've learned how to do things on stage and learned how to be effective. Um, but, But it largely just involved, you know, taking those risks and, and getting to be comfortable in my own skin. Do, do you ever encounter people with absolutely no sense of humor? <laughs> yeah, look, I, yeah I, I think we all probably can think of people who just seem to have no sense of humor, right? But the thing, and, and I hear this, John, all the time from people when people say, well, you know, I, I, I'm just not funny. Like I'm not a naturally funny person. And yet time and time again, I will see examples of them being funny. And as somebody who's coach speakers, even very serious executives, CEOs sometimes, they'll, they'll say to me, you know, I'm just not naturally funny. And then they'll start talking and they'll do something that's hilarious, just largely by being themselves. And I'll say, wait a minute, who is this person? Because that was very funny. You Don't tell me you're not funny. You, you are funny, but you have to find your own funny. You have to find your own style. And, and so much of effective humor is about just being yourself, being your authentic, true self. Jerry Seinfeld once said, the whole object of comedy is to be yourself. And the closer to that you get, the funnier you will be. So I think everybody has a sense of humor to a different degree. And, and especially when we, when we consider, certainly my definition of humor Um, where it's not about just telling jokes, right? And I think a lot of people immediately equate humor to telling jokes. I'm a horrible joke teller. I'm not good at telling jokes. I can't remember them. I botch the punchline half the time. Having a good sense of humor isn't about telling jokes. And it's not even always about being a stand-up comedian. It's about having that broader perspective on life, about being able to find and appreciate the funny things that happens out there, and especially about laughing at ourselves more and laughing at those things you have no control over. One of the things I say to uh, 
to my audiences all the time and, and especially to remind the serious people who, who may not be viewed as having much of a sense of humor is I remind them that there's this great irony in people who take themselves overly serious because people take themselves seriously and in the hopes that everyone around them, around them takes them seriously when the reality becomes, no, we're not taking you seriously because you're taking yourself so bloody seriously. So it's about more than anything else, just learning to lighten up a little bit and laugh at ourselves. It's, it's interesting because recently some feedback that I was given about some of my podcasts and video stuff is that a lot of it seems very serious and from some people who know me and say, you're not generally very serious kind of guy. You're very light and humorous. Uh, that's not coming through in a lot of the things that you're doing right now. And that gave me a, a pause for thought where I thought, yeah, I'm maybe not being a hundred percent myself because for me, humor is part of my identity. And not that I think I'm like a wacky, zany kind of guy, but I love humor. I love making people laugh. I love, like you say, finding the jokes and the, the humor in things. I was interested as well with what, what you're saying about uh, telling jokes, because I think even most of the best comedians don't really tell jokes. They tell stories. They, they tell things about their lives or they observe things that other people are doing that maybe are a bit ridiculous and they spotlight them or put them in a way that really highlights the, the ridiculousness of certain situations or events. And so for me, that's where, that's where humor really lies far more than in just being able to remember and tell some good jokes. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're bang on. It's, it's about those everyday observations and weaving in those everyday stories to find the humor in those. And you touched on another point there too, John, that I, that I want to circle back to about, about maybe sometimes coming across more serious than you naturally are when you do these. And I see that all the time as well, especially coaching senior leaders in, in business where off stage. They're very funny. They're very charming. They have this great sense of humors. And then they get up in front of a group of people and all of a sudden they're in speaker mode and their whole persona has changed. And I think it's from this false belief that they have to now be a little more serious. They have to be professional because they're doing a speech in front of a group of people and, and they leave their personality yeah. off the stage. Yeah. Funny enough. Yeah. I, People who've known me over the years have sometimes said, oh, I think you should do like stand-up comedy or something like that. And, and I've always said back to them, you know, I'd like to do that. I'd love to give that a try, but I'm not really a comedian. I'm not that funny. Like I'm funny with my friends in social situations, but I'm not really always funny, like get on a stage and tell stories funny. And yet when I do bring humor into my speeches and presentations, I find that I can do that fairly easily and effectively. And uh, last night uh, giving a keynote speech was, was that as well. In fact, it was, it was interesting because we had spoken a little while before I left to go and give that speech last night. And the last thing you said to in the conversation was have fun. And that, 
must have really stayed with me because the whole time before we were starting the meeting and even once we were there, I had not just great fun, but people were even saying, you're really funny tonight. <laughs> okay. And I think that was you. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Say thank you. Uh, That's so great to hear. And, you know, I give myself that own internal advice before I go on stage and speak. As I remind myself, even after all these years, to make sure I have fun. If, If we're not having fun as the presenter, then I guarantee you the audience is not going to have fun. If we want the audience to have fun, if we want them to be in that positive frame of mind, then we better have fun ourselves. And I know over the years, those talks where I've struggled a little bit, where it's felt like I'm swimming upstream, it's because something happened or something got into my head where I either started taking myself a little seriously or I just just got in my own head, in my own space, got in my own way, right? and forgot the importance of just relaxing and having fun and being in the moment and remembering that this is just nothing more than a conversation with a group of friendly people (laughs) that want to hear what you have to say. You know, stuff stuff is actually clicking for me whilst you're saying these things because when I'm referring to that, having said in the past that I'm more of a funny guy with my friends in social situations, I think the reason for that is exactly because that's where I feel relaxed. That's where I feel comfortable so I can let go more. And that's the only reason really why I'm funnier in those situations that I think of myself in other times where I'm not so relaxed and not letting go. So yeah, there's a, a real truth to that. And that I've learned something just from just from talking to you. I've learned something about myself and that I can use and, and has real value. I think that's fantastic. One of the things with humor particularly is that a lot of people do think it's hard to do and they can't do it. How how can someone who thinks that they can't do humor then get started? What process would you take them to to help them start finding their funny bone? Yeah, a few things I would suggest. One is, again, going back to that notion of laughing at yourself is to literally write a list of things that that you can laugh about safely in terms of yourself. And and the reason I say safely is is you want to make sure if if you're speaking on a certain topic, if you want to be perceived as an expert in some area, probably don't make jokes about how, let's say, you're, you're doing a talk on sales. So maybe not the best idea to joke about how you just suck at sales. You're the world's worst salesperson, right? (laughs) Because it's going to harm your credibility. But if you can laugh at things that you have no control over, like your receding hairline, I do lots of humor around my hair because I mess up my hair. We can maybe do this at some point. I mess up my hair into this crazy rat's nest, stressed out guy look. So I make lots of self-effacing jokes about my hair. Or when I mess up on stage, having fun in those moments. So as a starting point, just thinking about some of those um, things that you can laugh at, that you can bring a little humor into your presentation about yourself, but also just those funny sometimes embarrassing stories that you can share with your audience. And those can be really effective because not only does it help you come across as more relatable to the audience, it helps you come across as more humble. And it sends that message. If you can deliver an embarrassing story 
about how, for example, you got started in whatever it is you're speaking about, then it sends a really powerful message. The message being, hey, I started way down here at some point in this area. So I know what it's like. If you feel like you can't do what I'm talking about, well, listen to this story. So for example, when when I do talks on presentation skills, I, I talk about this just horrifying early disaster I had when I was in my early 20s when I hated public speaking. And I I tell this really, really like cringy, embarrassing story of me speaking in university where at the end of my present, I mean, it it was a disaster. I had to sweat going down my face, flop sweat. My leg was shaking like I was about to break out into an Elvis impersonation. Somebody actually whispered, from the front row, John, look at his leg. Because I was shaking from nerves so badly, right? It was just, it was humiliating. So when I share that story at the opening of my training, it sends hopefully a powerful message that, okay, you know, this guy can relate to how I feel when I go on stage. And if he can get to where he did, maybe I can learn a little bit more. So that's that's another thing. Um, one of, the, one of the simplest things, though, I urge anybody to do who doesn't think they have a good sense of humor is to quite simply start a humor file. And in fact, start a series of humor files based on different topics that you might be speaking on and or different audiences or clients that you deal with. So categorize them by subject area and just start collecting the funny stuff you see the funny stuff you find have a humor journal the the funny thoughts you have the funny questions that come into your head about these topics but also just report the funny news that relates to what you speak on that you find and put these in your humor file so look for those quirky uh, statistics or weird studies or weird stats or just weird off the wall stories that relate to what you're talking about anybody will get a laugh I'll give you a very simple example. In one of my talks, I very often cite an absolute true survey that suggested that my home province, I'm in Alberta, Canada here, is Canada's leading capital for photocopy machine rage. We are the number one leaders in Canada, evidently. 52% of Albertans have admitted to physically assaulting a photocopier. Now, I found, I just cut that out of a newspaper. I saw this little article, in the, you know, one of, the, one of the back pages of a newspaper I was reading, and I cut that out. And I'm cutting stuff all the time out of magazines, newspapers like that. Anybody would get a laugh delivering that. Yeah. And de- depending on the audience, that gets a bigger laugh if they can relate more. Now, you could get a bigger laugh by having a follow-up line, by how you deliver it, by your facial expression, by how your timing, how you pause, you know, really getting physical with it and beating up the photocopier. But I guarantee you, virtually anybody just delivering that stat is going to get a laugh. So I think one of the most powerful things anyone can do, John, is, is just simply that. Start those humor files. And then it, part of your brain, we all know how this works, right? Selective perception, you'll start to find funny stuff everywhere if you just keep telling your brain to look for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You get what you focus on and what you focus on expands. So yeah, um, I, I live by those principles. But humor, humor is always an interesting area because um, a little while back I read uh, or listened to, I should say, one of the great courses uh, on the theory of humor. Wasn't really sure what it was going to be about or if it was going to be all that interesting. It ended up being really fascinating about the developments of humor and different theories about why we find things funny. And I'm not sure I have fully formed opinions on, on it completely, but it, a very fascinating area, not as dry a subject as I'm making it sound probably, but is um, really an area to to get an idea or a sense of that we use it as a bonding tool more than anything else. It's a, it's a networking glue that it creates likability, it creates trust, it creates bonding we naturally feel more at ease and more comfortable with somebody when when we're laughing. It's a relaxed state in the first place. Do, do you have your own theory of humor? Yeah, and I, I belong to something called the International Group of Humor Studies. So, so your point about you know, I've gone to some of their some of the conferences and I read the academic journals, and they're sometimes very dry talking about all these theories of humor and that there's all sorts of theories that go back to, to Freud even had theories about what causes humor. And, uh, and, and you're right though. I, I mean, I think when we talk about positive humor and there are four different humor styles that have been identified in the humor academic literature. And when we talk about positive humor, we know there's this, this ability of humor to, as you say, connect with people. It does build trust when we share humor. And there's been several studies that show a positive correlation between humor and trust. And I think the reason for that is just because when we share our sense of humor, we come across more real, we come across more genuine. Those, those fake masks we sometimes wear uh, drop. And so people just see the real deal. We know that it helps with our credibility. When you deliver humor that is related to your subject matter, credibility goes up because I think it shows that you know your topic so well, you have the ability to play with it almost, to look at it in different ways. But in terms of a theory of what makes people laugh, I think more than anything, it's just quite simply, it's the surprise factor, right? It's a positive surprise though. So it's making this connection in our brains that, we had never made before until somebody helps us see things in a different way. And that's what, that's what humor is all about to me. It's about helping people see things through a different lens. That's why there's a huge relationship between humor and creativity. Both humor and creativity are about looking at things, but in a totally different kind of way, in a different angle, in a different, through a different lens. Most people, when they have to give a presentation or have to speak in public in some way, become terrified, tense, sometimes even nauseous, right? And so these are not states where humor is generally going to be um, the first thing that happens, although certainly funny things can happen because of those things sometimes, as you mentioned. But uh, I think that's very much the, the reason why people think that they can't be humorous is that they just don't feel that they can get on a platform or be seen by people without being negatively judged. That it is, I, I think, a lot of that fear of what other people are thinking that does hold people back in the first place. 
but maybe even a bit of fear of what you end up thinking of yourself. Because I, I think for me, one of the best decisions I ever made during a presentation skills workshop that I was in, engaged in as a participant was to allow myself to have as much flexibility on the stage as I needed to, to be willing to look a complete fool and clown on the stage and to not care what people thought about it because if I'm, as you said, for having fun, um, not just having fun, but if I'm prepared to do all the crazy stuff and to make my point or to tell a story and to make it as big and crazy and engaging and wild as possible, then I'm going to get a better result anyway because I have greater flexibility just as a person. Yeah, I, I, I so agree. And one thing I highly recommend people do if, if, you're, if you're serious about, about speaking and, and, and want to learn to be more comfortable, sign up for a local theater improv class. I used to perform with a, with a theater improv troupe and, and work out with these folks, and we had such a blast. It was one of the best stress busters you'll find anywhere. But more than anything, it's just this great vehicle to exactly as I say, again, just make a fool out of yourself and get comfortable doing that. Get comfortable messing up. Get comfortable not always doing the right thing, but knowing it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's so important. And you also, you know, you touched on this aspect of, again, John, of, of people being nervous, right? Of being scared and, and the difficulty in tapping into their sense of humor. So I want to remind people too that as much of a benefit as humor is for the audience, and we know there's all sorts of reasons why humor helps influence people and, and helps with your delivery of a presentation, we have to remember that humor also helps us as the presenter. It helps us to relax. And the more you tap into your sense of humor and you get some of those laughs and you get that great connection going on with an audience, it helps you just relax. It helps your heartbeat slow down. We know from experiments that people who tap into their sense of humor, even before going on stage, that their breathing will slow down, that their heartbeat will slow down. But uh, it's yeah, getting getting out of out of your skin. You remind you remind me too of the, of the aspect of judging yourself. Right, I was speaking years ago to about I don't know how many people were in the audience 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 of my fellow professional speakers at the National Speakers Association in Orlando, Florida. And I got, for the first time in years, incredibly nervous going out on stage. Like my heart was pounding. I was dreading this. I was going out on stage in front of your peers, not the easiest audience by any stretch. And so the way I relaxed myself as I thought, you know what, I'm going I'm to do this very simple humor technique of flipping it around, looking at things through a re reverse lens, as I sometimes call it. So I came out on stage and my opening line, <clears throat> excuse me, my opening line was, wow, you must be so nervous right now being an audience at a speaker's convention. I mean, I can't imagine the nerves you must be feeling, the pressure that is on you to perform. But I want you to know, I'm not going to compare you to my other audiences. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to go into the washroom with the other speakers and start, you know, criticizing what a poor audience you are. Right? So I totally flipped it around. It got huge laughs and it relaxed me and just gave me that, that moment to, to slow down, to slow down my breathing and get comfortable in my own skin. 
It's interesting that the the talk that I gave last night, a lot of it was based around uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini's six principles of influence, which you most likely heard of. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a fascinating area. And I think that humour is one of the bits that in his books and talks that I've never heard him talk about. I'm not saying he doesn't ever talk about it, but it's not, I've not really seen much of it in his books and presentations, uh, at least so far. But I think it is an incredibly powerful tool of influence. And and you mentioned that just a, a few moments ago. What are some of the reasons why you think that's the case? There's, there's several reasons, uh, at least four big ones that I would identify. And we already touched on one. One is just that trust factor, right? We have to trust the messenger if we're going to buy into the message that somebody's delivering. So if it helps build trust, whether you're just talking to somebody one-on-one or an entire audience, that's important. We also know there's a likability factor, right? Again, we've got to like the messenger, if we're going to buy into the message, if you're in sales, we need to like you as a person, as a salesperson. I think if we're going to be comfortable continuing on with this relationship. So there's that likability factor. We also know from research that humor reduces the counter arguments that start to go on in people's head. As soon as somebody presents you with new information or tries to sell something to you, we know there's a natural human response for people to start to make counter arguments in their head as to why this won't work, as to why I don't want to buy this. But we know from research that humor lowers those counter arguments. So it makes, I think, create space in people's heads to allow this information to come in. And then we also know there's just the power of humor to create that positive environment. And again, we know when people are in a good mood, when they're in a positive frame of mind, they tend to be more open to new ideas. They tend to be able to come up with new ideas better. And so that has a huge impact on all those things together. And then I think there's probably more reasons we could come up with. To me, it shows that, that humor can have a huge impact on our ability to persuade and influence people. In fact, there's this great study I love sharing. This is just one of, one of many studies that, that, that I love, where they did this experiment where they were negotiating with people over the sale of a, an, a pretty pricey piece of, of artwork. And they set up two different camps, right? So one in, in the experiment, one, they would offer this, the seller would come up with the final price of $6,000 for the painting. And that's it. And that was his bottom line, $6,000, take it or leave it. In the other group, though, same situation, selling the same painting for $6,000. But here, the salesperson would say, so my final offer is $6,000. That's what I'm willing to let this go for. But I'm going to throw in a pet frog. Right, Just a little bit of goofy humor there. But what they found was a huge difference. Just offering the pet frog had a substantial impact on people being more open to accepting the $6,000 fee. There was, there was less, less price resistance, less cost resistance when the frog was thrown in. Like, how goofy is that? And there's all sorts of studies that show a similar effect. That when salespeople use a little bit of humor, again, safe, positive humor, it really can help with negotiations, it can help with sales, it can help with influence, it can help your ability to persuade people. I know that there can be like nervous laughter, that that's the thing, but I think when people are genuinely laughing, 
part of that it must mean you feel safe that we talked about that sort of safety of allowing yourself to have humor and and to feel comfortable in the social environment but when you are laughing as well you you naturally feel safe too like when people around you are laughing and having fun threats of anything bad dissipate because when people are in good moods they act usually in in good ways as well so it's a comfortable a comfortable situation uh whilst you're talking i was kind of thinking is that the whole reason why the batman creators created the joker is that that <laughs> huge that huge contrast between the the person making you laugh who is actually attacking you which is something that shouldn't really happen it's like that really makes a lot more sense to me than it ever has before. <laughs> but um, it's great, crazy realizations that just come up. Neurons are firing. But, uh, but I love this, this idea that it creates a, a deeper level of trust and that people clearly have been investigating that it can make a difference even in, even in a sales environment. Are there any particular um, strategies that you've seen people use just masterfully or that you have knowledge of or use yourself to to add humor into those situations into 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 a presentation situation john or just or sales presentation situations yeah yeah well we yeah we can talk about all sorts of there's there's tons of ways to add a little bit of humor so if if you want to dive in and talk about some of those that's uh oh yes let's let's go in there there's there's all sorts of ways and that's what i want to remind you of folks watching this that there isn't just one or two ways and again that it's not talking about telling jokes right there are so many different options you have to slip in a little bit of humor so you know everything from just dirt simple ways such as adding some funny quotes into your presentation now when i say funny quotes though don't get caught up in using the same quotes that everybody uses. Look for, here's what I like to do. Look for unusual sources of quotes. You know, when you're, you're watching TV, I mean, you just referenced Batman, right? So does, does Batman say something funny about the topic you're speaking on ever? Quoting Batman is a little bit different than hearing another quote from Mark Twain or Winston yeah. Churchill for the 8,000th time. Or if you have a crazy family character, um, in your family who says memorable things, weave them into your presentation, you know, your uncle, uncle Charlie, or you've got a five-year-old at home in your midst, then use them and quote them. There's uh, simple ways of adding humor from just using props. And I'm a huge prop guy. So I have a huge table wherever I speak, an eight foot long table full of props that I use to bring stories to life that I use just to, to engage people in a little bit of a different way. So I've got everything from funny, you know, I've got funny, goofy hats that I wear, to always with a point, right? So I'm, I talk about this where I talk about people just, you know, taking values in their workplace at a very superficial level and not being serious about them. So all sorts of goofy props that I have. I talk about, you know, the need to uh, laugh at ourselves and uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, laugh at our, our when we do those bonehead mistakes that we all do, especially as speakers. Sometimes I use these crazy sound makers. Sometimes, if I want to add a little sound effect, all sorts of different sounds here you can do with this. For example, you need a little thinking time, or uh, or something weird happens on stage. <laughs> 
So there's all sorts of simple ways you can yeah. inject a little bit of humor with some fun props. And, and one of the things I love doing with props too is just looking for ways you could incorporate household objects. And, and, and you, know, you don't have to go crazy like me. I'm known as a prop guy, so I bring a lot of props with me. Just right. one or two can add a real element to your story, can just bring it to life if, if you use it effectively. Uh, when Back in my park ranger days, when I used to talk about moose, for example, I talk about how moose are the largest antlered animal in the world. They can weigh up to 1,500 pounds. And one of the things that make moose so big is they have these incredibly long, sexy legs. And I would pull out from my pocket a pair of pantyhose. And I would show, I would stretch the pantyhose out to show how big the pantyhose would have to be to fit right. a moose. And then by using those household objects, my hope is always that people will go away and forevermore they'll remember that connection, right? Whenever they see a pair of pantyhose, those people might think about a moose. <laughs> right. And, and some of that is like the surprise of the situation because you, you mentioned earlier about the surprise being an uh, a important part that contrast if you like of something unexpected in a situation like if you're going to for example a presentation or in a sales talk and somebody pulls out one of your props and then it's going to be unexpected it's not generally what you think you're going to get most people are prepared to sort of say oh, let's let's sit through this whereas it starts to get a bit more entertaining when things get a bit out of the ordinary and uh, there, there can be humor there it can sometimes just get a bit weird and uh, but uh, i think these these are the things that we want people really want to know about and i think that's a uh, a lot of the part of just being able to break down barriers between yourself and the audience, but more importantly, is breaking down those barriers in yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But but you hit on something really important. That element of I think both anticipation can come into play when you when you're telling a really good story, when you're crafting a really good story, or when you use a prop. Right? They kind of see, okay, what is this person going to do with this prop? How is this going to fit in? Or you introduce it at just the perfect time. So it creates this element of both anticipation and surprise because it's something a little different. But again, so many ways to add a little bit of humor. A, a, you know, a top, a top 10 list, right? From you know, David Letterman days, we all know the old top 10 list. So there's a very simple structure anybody can do, only make it a little different. Do a top nine and a half list. And some of the items might be very serious, you're weaving in some serious content, but then some of them are just kind of a little goofy, just a little surprising, again, just to keep people laughing and uh, keep people on the edge of their seats. Right. There's, um, the, there's a list that Bill Maher does on his show. I don't know if you ever watch his, uh, his, his TV show where he does on that. I don't know for certain, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's true. That's that's his list. Like I don't know it's for certain, but I'm sure it's true. Uh, and just reads out all these things about people. It, it's hilarious. It's, um, but it's just taking taking what you what maybe gets shown publicly, and then talking about what you probably suspect or know is really the case, or just being ridiculous about that. And it works. And you know, it's it's a very humorous segment because it has that contrast effect in it, and it's just a little bit unexpected for people. Right, right. And that contrast thing is, is a really important element of adding humor too, right? You can use some simple frameworks to help you find the funny with your topic. So everything from the good news about this is blank, but the bad news is 
and then just go crazy and something that's just totally different than that or um, exaggeration right to to show that contrast and thinking about all the different ways you can exaggerate you can exaggerate in so many different ways beyond the obvious. So I'd urge people to really, really dig and think about simple little ways that they can exaggerate an element within their story or exaggerate an element within their example. One thing that I do that I've been become known for, I think in one of my presentations, is I open up near the beginning with an exaggerated version of what the ideal happy person going to work looks like. So I do go through this whole rig and roll of cartwheeling into the shower and singing in the shower. And I put on a shower cap as I'm doing this and dancing naked in front of the mirror. And I do this fun dance and grabbing a rubber chicken and running through the streets of your town, high-fiving everyone, right? So it's just this very fast-paced, totally goofy, but that's exaggeration, right? So what, what is the ultimate happy day in an employee's day look like versus... Then I exaggerate in the opposite. Here's what we want to move away from. So waking up with somebody who's miserable in their job and or who has a miserable attitude, what does that look like? So that's when I pull out this guy, right? And I talk about waking up with drool on the pillow and not looking at yourself naked in front of the mirror and not even bothering to shower because you're so stressed out and having an IV drip with caffeine, because you, the only drug you're, you, you really need is caffeine and then driving to work slumped over the steering wheel. And I use the survivor torch to talk about wanting to be voted off the island. But this is all exaggeration, right? So I'm just building on that idea of exaggeration. So what can you do with what you speak on to show like the extreme? What does the ultimate success look like versus ultimate failure? So there's all sorts of ways to exaggerate. Now, I'm having a think about it. I, I was thinking back to what you were talking about um, about being brave before, because I think I think there's probably a lot of people who may be watching this. People who are listening to it are going to have to come onto YouTube and uh, and see the video if they want to know what what was in it. But a lot of people who wouldn't be prepared to mess up their hair and look a bit crazy on the stage, precisely because they can't can't imagine that like, I couldn't go couldn't go out looking like that I couldn't do that in front of other people what were they what would they think of me no one's ever going to look at me the same way again and yet probably in reality everyone would think oh my god that's amazing you're so brave you you don't care because that's what everyone really wants to do they want to stop caring so much about what everyone else thinks of them that you have to understand you're giving them permission to do that as well Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, with, with this hair thing, as a dirt simple example, I will run into people at airports who saw me speak 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And one of the few things they'll remember about my talk still after 20 years is, I remember your hair. I remember you messed up your hair. And it was just crazy, right? Because it's very, we know we, when we make things visual, people remember that. They will remember my goofy fun dance as well. And your point, too, about being willing to do that. I want to go back to my early days as a professional speaker. I'd done maybe two or three talks, and I was funny, but just kind of funny, right? I had pulled back on my true self, on my true persona, because I fell into that trap of thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a business speaker now. I've got, to, I've got to serious this up a little bit. I've got to be professional here. <laughs> right? So... Funny, but not outrageously funny. 
And I remember talking to my wife after about my third talk and she asked me how, you know, I was on the road. She asked me how it went. And I said, you know, it was okay. It was okay, but it wasn't, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something different. So the next talk I decided, Hey, I am going to take the, uh, the, the, the fun meter from here to there. I'm going to go, I'm trying to make sure the camera captures this, right? but I'm going to just go wild. And that's when I developed the whole idea of messing up my hair, of doing the, those exaggerated start to your work days and using way more props and just being outrageous. I took my pants off at one point in my talk with a point, with a message to it. I had these goofy boxer shorts on under, underneath and these goofy colorful tights. Uh, but I just went cra crazy. And I said to myself, okay, either it's going to work or it's not. And what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work. Well, I embarrass myself in front of 200 people in this town. I'll just never come back to for the rest of my life. Right? Well, not only did it work, I got my first rousing standing ovation and my first like, incredible off the charts testimonial for my talk. And that was just the switch. I remember thinking, okay, I've got to do that. And, and, and I was comfort for, you know, I was comfortable doing that, but I still, I had to take the risk to do that. I didn't know if it was going to work. And that's the thing with humor too, that I've learned time and time again over the years. When I add a new humor element to my talk, I don't know if it's going to work until I do it. And until I do it a few times and maybe massage it a little bit and craft it a little bit, but you don't know if it's going to work until you do it. Yeah, but then that that's true of professional comedians as well, right? You know, the, the shows that we see that are rip-roaringly funny are curated. They're not, um, they're not just they got up there and decided to tell you a few jokes. Like, they tried this material out. They've bombed with a ton of stuff that didn't work and picked out the bits that they got some laughs on and carefully constructed uh, their bit, their set. And so it doesn't doesn't happen... Uh, instantly, I think it's actually easier to be funny as a presenter or public speaker than it is to be funny as a stand-up comedian. That's my impression, at least. Oh, for, oh, for sure, right? Because the, the, there's a ton of pressure. I mean, the Jerry Seinfelds of the world will talk about how much pressure there is to be funny and say, it's not easy to be funny. And they work and they work and they work. And they're in an environment where people are kind of sitting there with folded arms saying, okay, make me laugh. I mean, I paid good money for you to make me laugh. Whereas if you're a speaker, yeah, it, 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 it is a lot less pressure because you're not a comedian and don't try to be a comedian. That's too much pressure. Don't even always think of it in terms of trying to be funny. Again, just be yourself and have fun with it. I think it's more important to be playful, to have fun with it than it is to be funny. So yeah. just be in the moment. And, and humor is a surprise, right, as compared to a stand-up comedian when you're a speaker, especially if you're speaking on a more serious topic. Then it can be way easier, ironically, to make people laugh because they're not expecting it. You're speaking about a very serious subject matter, but then you start slipping in a lot of humor throughout the talk. Then it's a huge bonus for people. I know that one of the top, 
TED Talks, I don't know if it still is the top one, but I know it certainly was the last time I checked, was uh, Sir Ken Robinson's talk about uh, about education. And it's one of the funniest speeches you could ever watch. I mean, it is full of humour. And a lot of it is kind of, it's kind of dad jokes, but it's natural humour. It's stuff that probably you could imagine him saying things to his wife that he tells us that he said and having these conversations for real. Um, in the In some of the humour study that I've done, it's, that talk has been analysed as having got more jokes than per minute than most stand-up comedians get. And I think one of the things that has made that, probably is the top thing that has made that one of the number one speeches, people like when they laugh, and also it makes it really memorable. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and we know from research, people retain information longer when it's delivered with a little bit of humour. And, and you make a really good point there. One, one of the things I, I stress to speakers is don't always think of it as a choice between humor and content. I think we sometimes fall into that, that trap of thinking it's a false dichotomy that either I have to be funny or I have to deliver serious content. The way I look at it is humor is just the vehicle sometimes to deliver that serious comment. So where's my rubber chicken? So you deliver a funny message, a funny line with a little bit of humor, but you've got this little gem of wisdom, a little nugget of information buried inside that rubber chicken. And if you think of it that way, the beauty of that is it doesn't always matter then if your humor lands, if people don't laugh at, at where you hope they were going to laugh, well, it doesn't matter because you still delivered your point. And that's what you should be focused on ultimately as a presenter is, am I getting my message across? Am I making my point? Then, and, and I want to go back to something you, you touched on too, John, about the, the just having to try things over and over. I can't tell you the number of times where I've delivered lines where I've thought it was going to be pretty funny and then realized, okay, after, after test driving it several times, because you have to do it more than once. It could be yeah. something with that audience, right? Or how you delivered it, where you realize, okay, this isn't quite working. But then conversely, other lines where I thought, eh, is this really funny? This is just going to maybe be a throwaway casual comment. And it brings down the house. And you go, holy smokes, okay, I didn't realize that. So, Again, it's just so important to to experiment and keep trying new stuff. Yeah. And then people will probably talk to some degree about confidence with this. And, and I really think that confidence in, in this particular scenario in, in relation to this is something that's only going to come from doing it because confidence really uh, in a greater degree here comes from a level of predictability of outcome, which is knowing really what kind of results you get having an idea about whether you're likely to get some laughs or not gives you some level of confidence in being able to deliver humor and stand up and present or speak in a way that is humorous or entertaining and so i, I find that really really cool it's, one of the things i think is super important right now is that we talked about sort of teaching and making it memorable that i think public speakers and presenters find themselves in the position of being edutainers now that uh, we are we are educating as well as entertaining and those are the best presentations those are the ones that you are likely to talk about or share with other people you know i know like the things that get shared most online are, other than cat videos are, are funny videos or, or jokes and, and comedy and stuff that that's what people love to share humor with each other 
I think one of the things I wanted to ask before, I want to come back to it because it's just popped back into my head, was about whether you think that humour is sometimes uh, a touchy area with people because people see it as being quite personal, like their sense of humour is um, not necessarily a private part of themselves, but something that is separated from other parts of their life sometimes. Yeah, um, I think sometimes that can be an obstacle for sure. For sure, everybody has a different sense of humor, right? I think our, our sense of humor is probably as unique as our as our fingerprints, right? We all have a different lens. We see the world through. We all find different things funny. So there is that element that humor can be a very private, personal thing. Uh, and and so again, I think when when we think about opportunities to share humor in a public sphere in a presentation, we have to find those commonalities, right? That's that is where humor works right a good comedian says something again that we're all that it sets off light bulbs in the audience's head right we all didn't know we had that thought but when the comedian says it we all go ah that makes sense and that surprise element combined with the idea that it's this collective experience that we can all relate to that's that's when humor is more powerful. So I'm I'm not sure I'm answering the question, but I, I but I think it does touch on this point of, of the importance of your humor being relevant to your audience. Right? It's got to be relevant to what you're speaking on, relevant to where to where you're speaking, or relevant to the audience for it to have meaning. You know, mm-hmm. another simple technique for for finding humor that can also help you make it relevant is and I do this a lot in my presentations, is use funny metaphors or analogies, right? So how is what you're trying to get across similar to raising a small child, house training a puppy, baking a cake, whatever it may be? And if you can make that, how is it like whatever your audience is known for, whatever their their profession is, or whatever they've experienced, if you can make it relevant to there, then then that has a huge, huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about was that, uh, and I have talked about this before, but um, is that when I first came to Spain, um, a lot of my humour didn't really work so well with Spanish people. I have a a fairly uniquely British sense of humour and uh, and most of my jokes, because I like, do tell jokes sometimes, are absolutely filthy. And they, they just, like many of them just didn't get understood or appreciated uh, in Spain where, because diff- different sensibilities, stuff that I know would land with, uh, with uh, an English or British audience uh, d- just doesn't really land always with, with Spanish people. Some less hits than I would normally get in that kind of sense you've spoken internationally and this is one this is one of your big themes what are the things that are perhaps more internationally funny and where have you noticed perhaps the biggest differences That's a, that's a, that's a big question. And for sure, you have to do your homework when you're speaking internationally, boy, with different cultural norms, different humor expectations. um, You have to, you have to sometimes be extra cautious where you're speaking with, with the use of humor, with even the words that you use. So again, I always go back to 
the importance of laughing at yourself. So I will, I will make sure I am the punchline for most of my humor to make sure it's safe. Recognizing that even in some cultures that might be considered, you know, oh, he's, he's, he's putting himself down. He's, he's laughing at himself. Is that really, really appropriate? Um, and and I, th- I think it's a matter, again, of, of really doing your homework and finding the, that, that common humor that we can all laugh at regardless of where we live. But, um, but it can be very, very different depending on where you're speaking. I did three weeks worth of training in Iran, for example. And the humor was very, very different that I had to yeah. practice, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can appreciate it. Uh, it comes with its own unique challenges. Um, yeah, I guess I was kind of thinking as well that with, uh, with humor being so, so different in so many different places, that's potentially quite a lot of work to do to be able to remain, to remain funny and, and relevant in that sense in front of your audience in different environments and uh you know it's just sort of i'm thinking about um you know, things that i haven't even got planned in my schedule thinking oh i need to do some homework in advance of that which is always a good idea anyway always to check out check yeah. out things. Humor, humor can be great when you can actually bring in personal things and i know that a lot of the public speaking presentations will talk about bringing something personal to that organization or the group that you're speaking to that maybe outsiders wouldn't necessarily know about that requires a bit of advanced preparation for sure right and and one of the simple things anybody can and should do is just ask, ask questions, ask questions of, of audience members that you're going to be speaking to. If you are going into a different country, then touch, you know, find some people in that culture, in that country that can give you some feedback on what's might work, what might not work, what might be considered a little offensive that maybe is okay in your own country, in your own language. Of course, you have to be careful with wordplay when you're speaking in different languages where English might not be the predominant uh, language. But for sure, if you want to make it relevant, which is so key, you've got to do that research and, and, and ask. And, and in terms of just going into, say, a client into a business, that's one thing I always do is I will ask them for examples of humor that I can weave in. What do you guys fun, find funny? Is there an acronym you all joke about that you use in your workplace that everybody will laugh at or roll their eyes if I slip it in in a certain place? And we know that that insider humor is always the more powerful humor. That's why you can you can see, you know, Bob from accounting get up and be the MC at an event and just bring down the house with his humor well, I'm sitting there going, what is so funny about this? It's because I'm not part of the inside club here. I don't know the references that he's making. But these little inside references are hilarious. And so the more you can get on the inside of where your audience is at, you know, one of the things I do is reminds me too of the importance of opening with a bit of humor and finding that relevant humor to open with. So when I'm speaking at an event, I always arrive early. I always listen to the earlier presentations before me. I'll listen to the CEO present the morning of a, a talk that I might not be doing till the, till the end of the day. And then if I can weave in something, especially at the opening, that the CEO referenced in her talk in the morning or something funny that happened, wow, that just brings down the house because... It's, it's, it's relatable. It just, it's, again, that inside humor, and it shows that you were 
there and they're surprised that you were there sitting in on it. There's so many benefits to doing that. Yeah. There's a, there's a tribal element really then, isn't there, to, to humor in a great degree because we mentioned earlier about it bringing us to this feeling of connectedness. But when we laugh at the same thing, like we, we like people who are like us. That's one of the basic premises of rapport. So when we're laughing at the same things and we see other people laughing at the same things, they become our kind of people, at least at that time. Right. We, we just become one group of people, right? Which that's, that's what laughter is the power to do. That's shared laughter. That's probably why laughter is so contagious, we know, right? We laugh more in groups. And you reminded me, too, of, uh, of something really important I want to get to that, you know, didn't circle back to the importance of just telling stories to get your point across. Now, it's so important that your stories have a point, that they have a message that's really, really clear, that, that you, you don't go off on all these side trips. There's, a, there's an old humor saying, you know, levity is brevity, brevity, brevity is levity. <laughs> so the shorter you can make a joke, the sh- tighter you can make your story without losing anything in the telling, the more powerful it is. But I want to get back to that notion of being relevant with your stories. Because one thing I hear from speakers all the time is, why don't you have good stories? Like, I've never climbed Mount Everest. I haven't swam across the Atlantic Ocean or trekked across the Sahara Desert for six months, right? I don't have good stories. I want to remind those people is, neither has your audience, for the most part, done any of those things. The most powerful humor comes again from those relatable life moments. So look for those small stories in your life. Start a story inventory. Go back through your life and think about all those firsts, your first job, your first date, uh, those embarrassing moments, those, those pivotal moments in your life. And it is those small everyday stories that can sometimes be the funniest, but also the most powerful in making a point. And they're the most relatable. I just recently had uh, Matthew Dix, if you've ever heard of him on the show. Um, he has an amazing book called Storyworthy. And he's a guy who's won the Moth Championship uh, several times in the US. And I think uh, 48 times he's won the, the Moth Championship and six times the Grand Slam. And he is uh, a master of storytelling. And he was telling me he's, he has done some stand-up as well. Um, but when we chatted, it was mainly about the, the storytelling element. And this is very much echoing what what he says as well. There's like most people haven't had big, crazy experiences. And whilst they can make great stories, it is really uh, some of his best stories are uh, more, more mundane, things, something that happened at the breakfast table or you know, something that uh, I think whilst we were talking so about uh, laundry, he's coming up with a story about doing folding laundry and that, that he and his wife didn't agree on how to fold laundry. But those are stories that people can absolutely relate to and will find the humour in him because they've probably been there or had something very similar themselves. And uh, those are some of the often the best stories that you can use where the humor isn't just in your story, it's in their lives as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's making it relatable and, and finding those moments, but you have to you have to be aware of it, right? So as you're going through your life, just constantly be on the lookout. Like is there what's funny about this situation? And and almost put yourself outside your own body and look at it as a third-party observer in this situation. Put on your com- comedian's hat. You know, watching this on TV as though you're a, uh, now starring in a sitcom role. And how would this play out if you thought of it 
in that kind of context. And here's a great technique for finding humor that I do all the time too, is just simply ask lots of questions about that stuff. Those, those, those stories, those simple, weird, quirky questions to force yourself to look at it in a different way. You know, why is it like this? What's up with that? Why do we do it like this? Who came up with this idea? What would happen if, right? I'm a big fan of those if questions. What would happen if blank? So, so just keep, keep looking at things through that comedic lens. Because it is, it is a skill ultimately, isn't it? It's not just something, I mean, of course, like with anything, and often we'll say this with public speaking particularly, if you have a natural propensity towards being able to get up on a stage and just speak, then public speaking is at least going to start off being a lot easier for you. And yet very often most of the professional public speakers and a lot of the best speakers and even comedians are more naturally introverted people who, who get up and do that. And, and I think part of that is the, this sort of thing of one well, natural ability also can have the risk of laziness with it as well. Whereas like well, you can just get up and you're going to do it. You're not necessarily going to push yourself out. So yeah, I can already do this. Whereas when you start off knowing that you can't really do this and you don't have any skill or natural talent there yet, you are going to have to work harder at it. But like anything, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Uh, I I keep a story journal and uh, I do what uh, I do Matthew Dick's homework for life that he talks about. So I ask myself what the most story worthy thing was about my day today. But I also know when I've when I have written some comedy material that I want to use, like in a humorous presentation or even just that stand up that I've never actually done to start with but the more you the more you do these things that you get into that way of thinking and, and it becomes easier and you start to see those patterns you start to think of those humorous things more because if you're not thinking in that way in the first place you're not going to see it you're going to get what you focus on or where your thinking's at right at that time uh, yeah, absolutely. So important. And like you say, it, it really is practice. And anybody can learn that. In fact, I've read a few studies that suggest that, and this is one of my favorite things to do, is one of the fastest way to grow that kind of global sense of humor um, from that global definition of sense of humor is to practice looking for the accidentally funny stuff in the world, the unintentionally funny stuff. That's That helps you, I think, grow your sense of humor because it helps you practice looking at things in that skewed way, that kind of golden retriever, quizzical <gasps> kind of way. And by accidental humor, I mean those, those funny, those weirdly worded newspaper headlines where you go, did they mean to write that? Or those funny signs. There's a gas station restaurant, for example, near where I live. And I always laugh when I go by their highway sign because it says, eat here and get gas. Those kind of things, right? When I when I was a, a manager in the government a lifetime ago, I got somebody phoning me up doing a survey, and they asked me this rather weird question. Mr. Kerr, I need to know the number of people in your department broken down by sex. And I remember pausing for a moment, you know, the golden retriever head kicked in. That, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to ask people that question. Right? So look for that stuff and collect it, and you will find the funny everywhere yeah well one of the things that i noticed and, and I, I shared this when i was talking with uh, with matthew dix a, a few weeks ago was that 
from from writing my stories each day, my most story-worthy thing, I start remembering other stories. I start having memories of things that I had long forgotten about. Stuff starts coming back to you. And I, I have a feeling that, because uh, I'm now going to add a humor journal to my story-worthy journal and uh, to keep, because uh, I want more humor. I want more fun and more jokes and, and more humorous stories as well. And I'm sure I'm going to start remembering more humorous situations or events or things that, you know, the things that you wish you'd written down because it was so funny at the time and then it kind of gets lost. You think, what was that? I know it was so funny and it just doesn't come back to you when you want it. And just being in that mindset allows more stuff to come back that your brain, who knows how it really works, we haven't got too many clues on that, but your brain will start to bring stuff back to you. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I want to stress it's so important to collect all that stuff. I cannot tell you the number of times where I've collected things, put them in my humor files, and they've sat there for years and years until the right opportunity came along, the right audience. And I thought, ah, beautiful. And I can just go to my, my file because I've got, I've got everything cataloged by keywords and, and by different audience types, again, different subject matters. And I pulled out this gem of a story that was just perfect. But otherwise, you know, it would have, would have just sat there for five years. So you never know when something you collect is going to be useful to you. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always carried a, a notebook around with me for exactly this reason, so that I can jot something down. If I have to, I'll voice record it on my phone, you know, but things are too easily forgotten. Our brains are too fallible. And I mean, it is that pain thing. We all have that experience of knowing something or trying to remember something and it's kind of there, but you just, it's just out of reach and you can't pull it back. And that sometimes just in a, in a moment where you let it go, it can come back. But I think if you're actually in a habit of thinking about those things, maybe it's just re-strengthening those neural pathways. Who knows what it is? But the stuff starts to come back to you. And uh, if you don't keep track of stuff, it's painful. It's painful to lose inspiration and ideas that you've had. And, and we all have, right? We've all had great ideas and great moments while you're walking along somewhere or whilst you're in the shower or whatever. And, and by the time you're done, you can't remember it. What was that great thing that I was thinking about? So yeah, being able to record in some way what comes up for you is a really, really useful tool. Yeah, so, so important. I, I guarantee you any good comedian has a journal that they live, journals that they fill up on a daily basis, probably scribbling down ideas, seeds of ideas, right? Some, you know, unformed jokes, just something there that they're going to go back to, but they keep humor journals and and religiously write stuff down in them day in and day out there, there was something you said before about um that i just wanted to come back to about having people laugh at you because i think that's one of the biggest fears that people have and and i think that's often one of the biggest fears have about public speaking let alone trying to be humorous in public speaking that people are going to laugh at them that when you do anything that puts you in view of other people that not just that they're going to judge you but they may actually laugh at you that could be one of the worst almost cruelest things and yet when you flip that around for yourself and invite people to laugh at you the joke is never on you right it's yeah and i think i think the the key little word there change is 
instead of feeling like people are laughing at you, you're creating an environment where people are laughing with you now. If you're in on the joke with them, right, then, then you don't feel that anymore. You're not being laughed at, you're being laughed with, right? And it's a totally different mindset and a different feeling. Who, who are some of the people that you look up to or have looked up to over the years in terms of humor and maybe even presenting with humor? Oh boy, that's uh, you're, you're putting me on the spot here, John. Well, I, I certainly have so many favorite comedians that I just love. I mean, I love, you know, I'm a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld and his, his just kind of simple, clean, observational humor. I love meet comedian Stephen Wright um, with his total, his deadpan humor, right? Where everything he does is just deadpan and and part of that persona uh i i um hard to think of more i put, I, I should have prepared you for that question yeah no 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 it's okay it's okay it's okay but but who who i really admire to are are the people who can weave weave and and some of them aren't famous people but but speakers i've seen over the years uh scientists for example uh, scientists and and they're focusing on content, but they have developed the ability to communicate that content in such an engaging, entertaining, humorous way. Those are the people that I really, really, truly admire, and yeah. and that I've learned from myself over the years. Um, yeah. You know, the, uh, those those are the folks that that I just think are absolutely brilliant. When you can deliver really in depth c- content or controversial content. Uh, in, a, in a very funny way, that to me is, is just the essence of really effective humor. And so I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of political humor too. So I've, I've always really liked uh, Samantha Bee and John Oliver and John Stewart and you know, Trevor Noah, the people who can take these very serious issues, but still keep that humor going throughout and deliver that, that serious news content in a very, very funny way. Yeah, I think that's that. They've actually been essential people in the last several years as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very important. But it, it's funny that, uh, uh, and that, that I think that's a whole at least podcast or series of podcasts in itself about information through humour and, and how I think uh, maybe it's more obvious in the US than perhaps in other places, but um, where a lot of the real news is coming from humorists rather than from news networks that are nearly all opinion pieces and panels and um, the the news isn't really, uh, you know, well, it's, it's all wrapped in outrage and uh, arguments and uh, you know, another form of entertainment really but but people aren't really remembering the news because it's um it, it there's too many things happening and it's all being blown up into the biggest thing ever and yet when these comedians come along and they talk about stuff people are remembering it and and getting activated by it i would say as well that people yeah. are not just remembering it but they're they're really taking it on board and responding to it, and and again, that maybe there's a tribe that tribal element of humor to that of people just coming together through through humor and comedy, as as through many art forms that bring people together, but a particularly strong one in this in this area. I think that that's a fascinating area, maybe a bit outside of what we about what we've planned to talk about today. Well. It, but it does, it ties back to that whole issue of trust too, right? Because I've read several studies that 
talk about how a, a pretty substantial percentage of people trust those comedians more than they trust the, the news outlets for, for where they get their news from. And I think, again, that goes back to that element uh, of, of the role that humor can play in terms of building trust. Mm. But two, I want to go back to that point. If you speak on a topic that is controversial or a topic that is very serious, if you're the person who learns how to deliver that boring topic, that dry topic, that controversial, serious topic with a lot of humor, you will go to the top of the class. <laughs> I guarantee you. And, and so that's a, that's a challenge I give to everyone. Again, it doesn't matter what, how, how, how serious you think your subject matter is. There are always ways, always ways to weave in some humor. I love that you brought up um, Jerry Seinfeld. One of the things that I often quote from him, and I think this was actually because he was asked a question about how to become a good comedian. And he said, you have to write comedy every day and cross off that day on your calendar. And your goal is to never miss a cross on that calendar. That that's advice that gets used a lot in the personal development industry now for creating habits and forming habits. But I think it's a very solid very solid piece of advice and relates to some of the stuff that we talked about like this stuff needs to be practiced and that's how you get good at anything is always practice 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 well and it's it's a game of numbers too right because as jerry seinfeld will say and all those comedians they write thousands of jokes for the very few that actually make it and make it big right? They will write hundreds and hundreds and yes thousands of jokes and of those thousands of jokes there might be 20 that, that make it onto a, onto a big performance. Yeah. Far, far too many people expect to be good when they start. And, and if they're not, or if it doesn't happen quickly, uh, which it rarely does, and then they think they're no good. They, they think they can't do it. And yet the, the skill comes from sticking with it and pushing through that when, when most people would give up. It's one of the things with even with podcasting, and it's apparently the case that most podcasts never get past six or seven episodes. And oh because people get to a point of like, well, why, why am I doing this? Or it's not getting in, not getting much response or reaction. You have to keep going and keep going. You know, I'm at, I think, in my mid 30s of episodes, so still very early, early days for me. And um, maybe coming up to 40 now, I'm not sure, but still, you know. It, I've been told it takes at least two years to get to a level where things start getting noticed and taking off themselves. That's a big commitment in terms of thinking that's a long time to wait to really see things take off. I'm prepared to do it. You know, it's not what I'm doing the podcast for. What I'm doing this for is having these conversations and hopefully getting to share that with as many people as possible. That that's the goal that hope if I'm enjoying the conversation that other people are too and that generally seems to be the case and slowly but surely the audience is is building and growing up but it takes that stick with it thing that I think you know far too many of us don't really want to do we want we want the instant stir and uh, you know, add water and stir and it's done and uh, life just isn't like that no no and and in fact you I read a lot of comedian biographies um and i just read amy amy uh, schumer who i who i love as well mm. and and she was talking and so many comedians in their biographies that i've read talk about how it took them probably five years seems to be a very common number five years before they really found their footing five years before they found their own voice 
And these are professional comedians, right? So, you know, yeah, you're, you're right on. It, it takes time. It takes commitment to be a good speaker. You've got to get out there and just speak. And if you're just starting out, anyone watching this, just find every opportunity to get up in front of a crowd and speak. You have to put miles under your belt before you're going to get better. I, I have really enjoyed our conversation today, but like many good things, we can't, well, I could go on forever, but I don't, don't want to take up too much of your day with, with this as well. But it's been wonderful to have this talk. And I always like to ask my guests for a book recommendation when I can. What book or books would, would you recommend? Well, one, one book I would recommend of, of several specifically on the topic of weaving in and, and there's so much that, that I didn't even get to. We, we had all this time, but there were lots of stuff on, on crafting your own jokes. There's simple formulas you can do, like the rule of threes and simple ways to, to write your own jokes. Um, one book I would highly recommend of them all is by Judy Carter, and it's called The Comedy Bible. And it's got lots of great tips on how specifically to weave humor into a presentation and find the funny. And then I would I would also recommend... Uh, this this fabulous book, but I'm just going to plug my own book, The Humor Advantage, Why Some Businesses Are Laughing All the Way to the Bank. This is based on research I've done all over the world that talks about ways companies, ways leaders can bring more humor into a workplace culture to drive outrageous results and laugh all the way to the bank. And so I want to remind everybody out there that, you know, life Again, life is short. It's too short to take ourselves so bloody seriously. So remember to enjoy the journey. Laugh at the things you can't control, which is quite a bit right now. You know, I'm we're we're as we're doing this podcast, we're we're in the midst of the pandemic. Of course, I'm I'm 108 days without a haircut. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so that's why my hair is you know a little wilder than than normal. But I I've got to just laugh at this. So I want to remind people there's just. Laugh at yourselves a little bit more. Laugh, laugh at the things you can't control. Find the funny out there. Don't take life too seriously because you're not getting out of it alive. Yeah. I, I love that you're keeping track of how many days it's been since you've had a haircut. <laughs> well, look, fantastic. Uh, how can people, oh, people can find your book and I hope they will. It's already on my reading list. How can people get in touch with you and find out even more? My website is www.mikecurr.com gets you there or humor at work gets you there or you're welcome to reach out by email mike at mikecurr.com. If you go to my website and sign up for my weekly newsletter that talks about inspiring workplace cultures and bringing more humor into the workplace, you when you sign up, you will get a free bonus ebook called 340 ways to put humor to work so there are some ideas right there as well but do reach out i'd love to hear from you love to hear your questions what you're doing to bring more humor into your life your business or into your presentations i'd also invite you i'm very excited about this i've got this rocking new brand spanking new culture leadership online course to help people help leaders or anybody interested in building a rocking, great, inspiring, fun workplace culture. So I, I invite you to check that out as well. 
That sounds great. Well, wonderful stuff. Um, I hope maybe in the future you can come back again and share some of the stuff that we didn't get to talking to you today. I'd love to hear more about actually constructing some of the jokes, maybe do almost a, a bit of a, a workshop kind of thing with you. That would be very cool. Uh, but we can perhaps chat about that. But please do uh, come and check out Michael's book and his website and get in touch with him. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so delighted that we were introduced and that you agreed to come on and just want to say from from my heart thank you so much thank you john the pleasure was all mine thank you thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed the episode i certainly had a lot of fun i'll be back next week starting off with an episode just me by myself talking about some presentation and influence stuff and next friday i will be releasing an episode with the incredible speaker jessica breitenfeld jessica is an amazing speaker she was the top speaker in barcelona this year in the world championship of public speaking and we had a lot of fun in that chat as well we did a lot of uh, exercises and flexibility and humorous stuff as well so continue on with this humor theme i hope you can join us for that please make sure you've liked and subscribed to the show if you'd like to get in touch to maybe give some suggestions or be a guest or uh, maybe you'd like to just find out more about me please email me john at presentinfluence.com or come and find me on linkedin it's a great place to connect i'd love to hear comments from you as well so please do give some feedback that might help to improve the show and i'll look forward to seeing you again very soon 